<clears throat> hey everybody, welcome to the Ohio Bigfoot Project, the Ohio Bigfoot Research and Investigation Center podcast, or the Ohio Bigfoot Podcast. Tonight's episode comes via an email that uh, was sent to me, and I was asked to elaborate on it a little more, and it's about looking for Bigfoot in popular areas meaning areas that are popular for Bigfoot enthusiasts, how do you research that? Well, many times I have made the 60.5-mile drive to Salt Fork State Park. I leave the house at 5 p.m. I stop off at the Coshocton Walmart for supplies and arrive mid-park at 6.15 to 6.30 p.m., depending on how long I shop at Walmart or how long the lines are at Walmart. P.S. Since I have now mentioned Walmart three times on this award-winning podcast, I expect the check to be in the mail. <laughs> now, every time I would go to the park, I would follow the exact same routines up until things got crazy, Monster Quest, all that. And uh, then I started using other tactics to search for Bigfoot at SFSP. You see, when a park starts having the gift shop fill up with Bigfoot everything, the location is used for a Bigfoot conference, and you name a campground Bigfoot Ridge, it happens to be that you attract Bigfoot enthusiasts hoping to see the creature. You create a lure for people interested in Bigfoot to draw them into the park. Now, this happens to be very effective, and it does just that. However, that can also lead to ruined outings. Like I said before, I've had people set up spotlights and all kinds of crazy things. I'm not even going to begin to start on the ruined outings. But, first let's look at why. <clears throat> why pick SFSP as the epicenter for Ohio when it comes to Bigfoot? Well, first off, it does have a very long history of sightings and activity. So, that's the main reason. But why? Why would Bigfoot continue to visit an area <clears throat> where it appears we as humans are hunting them almost? <clears throat> well, first and foremost, we raise the curiosity when all summer long you have people, um, calls, sound blasting, doing wood knocks. If Bigfoot truly is a curious creature, then he's going to be drawn by the curiosity of all this sounds. Not to mention he could be looking for, or she, looking for other Bigfoot, and our imitations happen to lure them there. Now, another main reason is the food. Many times I have heard that we have invaded the wild territory of America 
building cities and displacing wildlife by moving into their own front yards. I have always questioned the validity of this as I think there might be a bit of a twist to this century-old tale. Places like SFSP and the air around it is filled with the smell of hot dogs, bacon, eggs, coffee, hamburgers, marshmallows, steak, ribs, fried chicken, you name it. <clears throat> now, when I did, when I was a fur trapper, and I still trap off and on from time to time, but in, uh, in the mid-70s, early 70s, there was a boom in fur prices. So, if that was to ever happen to again today, like let's say raccoon furs were going for $20, you know, I'm not going to go trap in the woods. I'm going to go trap right behind that long line of restaurants in Cleveland and Cincinnati and Columbus. I'm going after those city coons because those city coons raid dumpsters and they get fat. They're attracted there by food. Okay, same thing as a, 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 a panhandler. You know, we've all seen the people by the side of the road, please help, and they have their hat out, you know. Well, if you gave them a choice and they could either stand on a county road or the crossroads of a city, which do you think they prefer? They're going to go to the city because there's more people, there's more handouts. So with that, you could think of two class of uh, wildlife or Bigfoot, the blue-collar Bigfoot and then the bums looking for a free handout. You know, you have Bigfoot out walking a hillside, picking up walnuts, picking berries, eating this plant, eating that plant. Or he can just, much like a bear, go get into a dumpster and fill up in a matter of minutes. So that could be an attractant. Because, let's not forget, all this happens in a state park in the middle of the woods. <clears throat> I mean, think of uh, think of of a mom with her three kids. She unloads them from a car, goes over, puts a uh, bag of charcoal on the grill, lights it, and you got two Bigfoot standing off in the woods. You know. Now, if she pulls out the Oscar Mayer, you know that yellow and red package. I'm going to jump out and say huggity boogity, and that lady's going to grab her kids and run for the car. No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm only going to do that if she has those red package bar S hot dogs. We all know the bar S are the bomb. So if she pulls out the bar S, then we'll scare her and her three kids, and she's going to run away with her kids, throw them in the car, get out of there. And leave all those hot dogs up there on that grill. Which, by the way, Bar S and Oscar Meyer, you both now owe me money. 
but um for the mention but yeah i mean think about it like that okay it's the sense of food it's the the smells is 24 7 and with this stuff being cooked over a fire heat rises the scent lifts gets up into the atmosphere the air cools it the scent the the cooling air pushes that scent back down and so that scent can literally travel a very long way um that it's just a food attractant and you put that on top of the knocks the whistles the sound blasting and the curiosity of the animal and that's why they're going to flock to salt fork or any other place where you do that really so where do you look among amid the the chaos well you could go to those popular areas bigfoot ridge Hossack's Cave, uh, the Stonehouse Loop Trail, the Handicap Picnic Area, the trail around the Horseman's Camp that everybody and their brother does. But there are back areas into the park. And then there's little slivers of even more back areas on the very outskirts of the park. But then there's another tactic that I like to do. And um, it's the backpack areas. I like to look for navigable creeks and travel corridors. And by being navigable water, you can canoe it, you can kayak it, you can get back further where most people aren't going to hike because all that area outside of the park is private land so you're not allowed to walk through it but if it's floatable water there's nothing illegal stopping you from kayaking or canoeing it you're allowed to it, it's there's a law about it about navigatable water in the state of Ohio okay so that's one thing but then the other is the uh, straight line 10 mile travel corridor David Bell invented parkour in 1990 after being influenced by his Parisian father who laid the foundation for the fluid of movement who used parkour as a firefighter to get from point A to point B with the fire hose or the fire line without kinking it. So parkour was actually invented by firemen. Well, when you put that in the aspect of Bigfoot and you walk in a straight line, if you go up and over the hill, it's going to be quicker or a shorter distance traveled in the long, as the crow flies in the long run, than going out and around the mountain and coming back over. And Bigfoot, let's face it, is an overland creature. He's designed for overland. So, if you look within a, 
X mile radius, let's say 10 miles, and you find a uh, public wildlife area, a hunting area, the majority of that area sees use for one week of the year during deer gun season. That's when it's 99.999% the busiest. Outside of that, it's used about probably 30 to 40% for bow hunters, squirrel hunters, things like that. But after hunting season, those places are, no one goes there. It's, they're just very rarely used. So those little pocket public wildlife areas or hunting areas don't see humans through the summer. They see humans over the fall and the winter. And after gun deer season, which is always the Monday after Thanksgiving, Monday through Saturday or Sunday, and then I think two weeks later there's another two-day weekend, Saturday and Sunday of gun deer. And after that, because uh, they're void, because a lot of bow hunters won't go out immediately after gun deer season. Some say the deer is spooked. Some say it doesn't change them at all. I'm not getting into that because this isn't a bow hunting podcast. I'm simply approaching Bigfoot as a bow hunter. <clears throat> but those areas don't get used. So if you find a public wildlife area just a few miles away from a state park, which is not abnormal, to find these little pocket 40, 300, 400, 500 acre, 1,000 acre areas. Um, yeah, that I mean, that's a great place to look because knowing that no one uses them during the summer... If I was a Bigfoot and I wanted to lay low and avoid humans, that's where I'm going to spend the majority of my time. And then when I start to get hungry, hungry, you know, I'll snack on all the, the local native foliage and whatnot. But then move into the park, raid some dumpsters. Uh, people are... You know, let's face it, we leave a lot of food in the woods, you know, and uh, get attracted to those smells and the sounds, and then peel back out to the public hunting or public wildlife area, which is literally a ghost town. There's nobody there. It's like a little safe sanctuary. And then expand that range, you know, 15 miles, 20 miles, 25 miles until you find the closest, and then the next closest. And the most direct approach yields the fastest result. Because Bigfoot is designed for overland travel. So if you find that little back area, and you, let's say the handicap picnic area at Salt Fork, it's had a lot of activity, a lot of sightings over a year. Over the years. So you put a pin there. And then you put a pin in the uh, 
the public wildlife or the back area. And you put a string straight across those pins. And then under and then from the left and the right of that string, you look for the the most concealed method of travel. Is there a low-line creek? Um, a way to avoid houses? Um, you know, maybe cutting through standing cornfields because standing corn, my wife once seen a black object about three foot over top of the corn driving down the road. Uh, she didn't get a very good look, unfortunately. But, you know, that A, it's a food source. B, it's a travel corridor. C, it attracts other wildlife, which adds to the food source. But those back areas, those point A to point B, between a place where there's a lot of activity reported over the years to those back areas, straight line, Fish a little left and right of that line, you know, let's say two and a half miles in each direction to find the most concealed possible way that you could travel from A to B. And then those little back areas are the places to look at. But the you want to get further away from the pen where all the activity is because that's also where all the people flock to. And sadly, that's where you're going to have hoaxers, people leaving footprints, things like that. And I've been there, done that too. So, yeah, I almost had a lynch mob attack me one time when I told him it was a BS footprint at Salt Fork State Park that was in the sand. But during a conference weekend. But yeah, <laughs> uh, good times, good times. But yeah, that point A to point B and then finding those back areas and then running that string across the two pins and then putting a wide swath around that that line to find the most concealed method of or path of travel. That's the places you want to go to. That's how I research popular areas. Is I look for the rings around it. Don't go to the the main. I mean, yes, go to the main areas, see them, get an idea. What's the attraction? Well, let's see here. There's three or four barbecue grills there. That's where people go to picnic. Okay, food source. There's the attraction. <clears throat> now, let's say was coming in here as a food source. Well, now where do I want to go that I can hide and sleep? That's the places you want to look for. And that's how I research popular areas known for Bigfoot activity that draw an abnormally large amount of Bigfoot enthusiasts. There is some crazy things that you'll find at Salt Fork State Park. And yes, it is a very active area. It still is to this day. But, and I'm not going to tell you my areas, but... Well, I would some of them give you a, a 
not publicly over a podcast, but if you emailed or whatnot, yeah, I would give you a couple places to check out. But yeah, those those little hidden gem back areas are the ones that you want to look for. And uh, that's how I research popular areas. It's by starting at the most popular point, finding the most reclusive back areas, pin to pin, piece of string in the middle, find my travel corridor. It's actually pretty simple, but it's effective too. Uh, I'm going to wrap that up for this podcast. Uh, Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, next podcast, I'll talk about, well, actually, there's nothing. The Virginia trip itself was absolutely amazing. It was awesome going back to the old property. But when I say it was a dead night, except for a little bit of owl chatter early in the evening, which was questionable, but, I mean, it was a graveyard dead Not a sound, not a whisper of wind, not the rattle of the leaves and the trees. I mean, dead, spooky-ass, quiet, dead, dead, dead night. But, yeah, I'm going back December 10th, I think. Um, Possible, anyways. If not, I'm going to be doing a different expedition. But, yeah, that's it for this podcast, short one. Um, I try to keep them all pretty short. But I hope that answered your question on how I search popular areas for Bigfoot. Have a great night, everybody. Get out there into the woods. Remember, it's OhioBigfootProject.com.